Psalm 8, if you want to turn there, it's in the Pew Bible, 845. As we turn there, I want us to think about three questions that philosophers tell us we must ask and answer every human being that lives. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody asks these questions, nor do they actually answer these questions, and they've been given in a variety of ways, but summarized in three, they would be like this. Who am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? We might say, well, we might wonder, why am I here? But if you answer those three questions, you will get at the root of why you are here. Who am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? Although we see issues of identity completely dominating the news today, understanding who we are has been a question since the beginning of time. Even in the Garden of Eden, Satan slithered up to Adam and Eve and planted seeds of doubt about who they really were and who God is. But today as we turn to Psalm 8, we're going to see that David clearly answered the question to both identities, ours and God's. Isn't it great that in which we are inundated with all these thoughts about identity in our culture today, we can be reminded of who we are through God's word and who God is. We're going to look at the magnified majesty of God in Psalm 8, uh, Pew Bible, page 846. Peter Bregman, best-selling author, made this statement about boredom. He said, being bored is a precious thing. That's where creativity arises. That's why I'm not concerned if you are bored during my message, you might come up with something very creative. Love the story about post-it notes. Post-it notes were invented while a sermon was moving pretty slow. No joke, you can look it up. So creativity happens when we are bored. I'm wondering if maybe David felt a little bored that particular day in which he was thinking about God in the night that he looked up into the sky and he began to unleash some very clarifying brilliance. I'm wondering if David had had one of these back then, if we would have had Psalm 8. Because this seems to be where we go whenever we're bored. And I would tell my kids as they were growing up, boredom is more of a statement about you than your surroundings. Because they had always, like it's the fault of somebody else. I said, no, it's more a fault about us. Well, maybe David was bored, maybe not. Maybe he had been watching sheep, maybe he was king. We don't know exactly when this was written, but we do know that somehow... David looked up, and this is what he began to write about the majesty reflected in God's creation. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your glory has been placed in the heavens. It's a picture of God's eminence and transcendence, theological terms that describe the fact that in God's eminence, he is close to us. Every other God in all other religions are distant, but here is God close to us. And then it talks about the transcendence of God, that he is beyond our comprehension and our understanding. Paul would talk about knowing God, and it means a fragmentary knowledge of God. Know just a piece of who God is. This name is the one that we just sang about. Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. A name that is identified 7,000 times throughout Scripture. And it talks about the covenantal God who has come to give us personal relationship with him, a God who loves us. 
You have set your glory in the heavens. You are far beyond anything that we could comprehend. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? God's majesty is reflected in his creation. Many different times we forget about who God is by being so centered upon ourselves. But Jonathan Edwards reminds us in this great vastness of nature that nature is God's greatest evangelist. That's why Paul would write in the book of Romans telling us that even creation makes us without excuse to understanding who God is. Martin Luther said God writes the gospel not only in the Bible, but also in the trees, in the flowers, the clouds, and the stars. Greek philosopher Anaximander, born six centuries before Jesus, made the very first world map. He lived in Miletus. You may have read about that in Acts chapter 20. You remember Paul stopped there and he prayed with the elders of Ephesus at Miletus, modern-day Turkey now. Miletus, uh, uh, Anaximander, making this map, put Miletus, his hometown, right in the center of the map. Why? Because that's where he lived. He believed that everything started right there in Miletus and went from there. Over a millennium later, it was Galileo who was deemed a heretic because he believed that the earth was not the middle or the center of the universe. And now in the 21st century, we have a GPS to remind us that every journey starts with us, right where we are. So we look back and we think of uh, Anaximander being somewhat egocentric and putting himself right in the middle of the world map. And we think about the church that banished Galileo because he didn't believe that the world, the earth, was the center of the universe. Yet it's very easy for us to believe that we are the center of the universe. Emerson, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the philosophy building no, noted as Emerson in Harvard, was designed to put up on the north face this statement, man is a measure of all things. This is back in 1905 when it was being constructed. The longest tenured president of Harvard, Char Charles Eliot, changed it. Instead, he put Psalm 8, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Right in the heart of Harvard University is this statement that we find in Psalm 8, that God would be mindful of us. One alumni of Harvard said the motto, Veritas, is meaningless when it's separated from the quotation written on the facade of Emerson Hall. Who is man? What is man that thou art mindful of us? David reminds us that we are not at the center. And many of you love to read biographies, and you've read about Teddy Roosevelt. One of the things that he loved to do, entertaining guests, and Roosevelt was a, a brilliant man. Each night he would go to bed with a book, and if he didn't finish it, he would come close to it. William Beebe was one of his associates, and he talked about how many different times, dozens upon dozens of times, after they would talk extensively 
about all different types of things, Roosevelt would then point up into the sky, and he would say, that is a spiral galaxy in Andromeda. It's as large as our Milky Way. It's one of a hundred million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. Roosevelt would continue. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. Then he would pause and would grin and say, now I think we're small enough, let's go to bed. Well, that's kind of what David does in Psalm 8. He turns us to the skies to be reminded of how small we are. Yet he also wants us to see how big God is and how big his love is for each one of us. What an amazing statement. The majesty of who God is. Your glory is beyond the heavens. The glory of God, as you recall from Scripture, is, is not something uh, that, that is the only part of God that, that people could see. You remember that, that he would pass by Moses, pass by Elijah. You remember uh, Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and, and John would be able to see the, the glory of God in the Transfiguration. This great glory of God, it's set beyond the heavens. And because of this, God is even mindful of us. As I mentioned earlier, this last week, we were up in Fort Worth taking care of our, our four little granddaughters, the four little hobbits. Kids were celebrating, our daughter and son-in-law were celebrating their 10th anniversary, and so we were in charge, and I thought we were doing pretty well. And uh, then, uh, standing in the kitchen, trying to clean up a few things, typical food fest, I mean, all over everywhere, and it was just lunch. And then all of a sudden, I hear, Raymond, where's Nora? Now, you as husbands know that sometimes your wife asks you a question indicating that it's your fault. <laughs> and I'm in the kitchen and I'm wondering how it's my fault that Nora's missing. And then all of the sudden, we're in a state of panic. Now, I wasn't in a state of panic until I saw the panic on Michelle's face, and she's frantically running through the house yelling. And then I begin to think, man, this is something. Kids are going to come back from their 10th anniversary, and we're only going to have three kids left. <laughs> and then how do you explain it? I mean, we didn't lose them at the zoo, could have. We didn't lose them at the store, which is possible. We lost one in, in their house. Was this an unidentified anomalous phenomenon? Whatever that means. So we're running through the house. I mean, everything else is secondary as we're screaming for this child who happened to just simply slip out in the backyard and was playing out there. And when Michelle finally found her, she fell on the ground, and Nora was like, what is the problem? But I think that is a picture of this mindfulness, that God is, is mindful of us. He will do anything to connect with us relationally. And he's not just satisfied with having a few left over. He wants all of us. And that's why Scripture says that God is patient, not willing that any would perish. God's majesty is reflected in his creation. Just look around. 
And, and friends, don't spend so much time doing this. I mean, we all do. I mean, we're all focused like this. Take the time to just set some things aside. Create some, some margin in your life, some, some white space, some downtime, just to ponder who God is, especially those of you that are going on vacations and you're going to be in some dark place and you look up in the sky and you'll see 2,000 to 2,500 stars if you're able to count them. And to know that is a fraction, a fraction of the universe. God's majesty is reflected not only in his creation, but in his creation order. This, this psalm can be preached a hundred different ways. And as I continue to wrestle with it, I thought what David is trying to communicate to us, and we'll get to the, at the end of it, is the significance of God's majesty for us. That God is majestic, and that's the starting point. Our life will never make sense. We'll never be able to answer the who am I and where am I going and where did I come from until we understand the majesty of who God is. God's majesty is reflected in his creation, as we've seen. It's reflected in his creation order. Look at Psalm 8, verses 5 through 8. You have made him, speaking of man, a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. God's majesty is reflected in his creation order that he has put man in charge of his creation, to steward what is here. The smallness of it is that the vastness of his creation has seen humanity come and go by the billions. Over a hundred billion people have walked the face of the earth. And the stars and the planets and the sun and the moon, they've seen it all. And they're still there, but we come and we go. Yet in that interval of time that we are here, God has placed us to be in charge. Even though we have crossed over that, that delineating mark of being a, a population of 8 billion people in the world. We are not the, the most numerous entity on this planet. We are outnumbered 2.5 million to 1 by ants. There are 20 quadrillion of them, which is 1 trillion times 20,000. So we're not the most numerous. But God has created us to be those who are in charge of his creation. And he's put an order to his creation. What season is this? Well, down here it's hurricane season, but most people call it summer, right? <laughs> it's summer. And then hurricane season will be followed by fall. And then that will be followed by Bring the kids back up here again. I mean, let's name the, name the seasons. And we know that the sun is going to rise. It's going to set. We see the order in creation. We don't see chaos, but we see order. We do everything that we can to bring chaos into it, it seems. I want you to note something here. Just thinking about uh, the culture is, cultural issues that we face. When it talks about man here, it's important to be reminded that in Scripture, Old Testament and New, the word man is only used in two different ways. A male, to distinguish between a female, 
or to mean humanity. So all of Scripture knows nothing of this confusion that we are embroiled in now. Scripture says a man either means male in distinction from female or it's humanity. Important for us to remember that. God's creation order reflects his majesty. He has created things in such a way that the world can make sense even though it is tainted by sin. So as we look around and we see the way things operate, be reminded that God's majesty is reflected in his creation order and it's reflected in each one of us. God's majesty, it says in verse 2, is reflected in his plan to redeem his creation. Go back to verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Two different ways to, to look at that. One specifically that we'll note in a moment, but another is just to note that God's majesty is reflected in creation of holding a child. When you hold a child and you see a child grow and you, and you recognize just what has happened in this child's life. To take the time to ponder the way that God has orchestrated all of this. And Jesus would refer back to this passage of Scripture at the triumphal entry when he was coming into Jerusalem to redeem his creation. This is not our creation. It's God's creation. And he's planted us here to be stewards, to have dominion, to, to have care for what he has created. Jesus replied in Matthew 21, 16, haven't you read the scriptures? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. God brings praise even through children. And as the religious leaders were trying to silence those who were glorifying him at the triumphal entry, he said God has ordained it, that his praise will come from infants and children. See, God has a plan for redemption. Paul would write to the church at Rome, and say that all of creation is groaning to be redeemed from sin, the curse of sin that came with the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And God has this beautiful plan to redeem his creation. One time there will no longer be the aches and pains of life, the aging and the dying, the sorrow and the tears, one day joy will completely permeate God's creation because he will redeem not only us, he will redeem all of his creation. What a glorious day that's going to be. So the point of refreshment for us today is although we are microscopic in the vastness of God's creation, we can rest in his infinite majesty. And we say, I'm not exactly sure how to do that. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. We can feel very small when we think like David did, writing this psalm without even the use of a telescope. He understood the vastness of creation, but he also understood the majesty of God that God has created to us to be a part of his creation, to be a part of his plan. And we can rest in that. The universe 
is 94 billion light years across. I remember growing up, there was a thought that maybe it was 15 billion light years, but that seemed to be a stretch. Now with the James Webb Telescope and continued observance of, of what's taking place in the skies, 94 billion light years across the universe. It would take you 3,000 years just to count to the number 94 billion. And that's how many light years go across the expanse. Yes, we can feel microscopic in that vastness. Yet in all of that creation, John would tell us that God so loved the world. Not Mars, not the Milky Way, but you and me. God loves you, and he's created you to have a relationship with him. And when you read words like that, you can't even imagine that to be possible. But he made it possible. Separated by our sin, yes, it's impossible, except through Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus would refer back to this statement to say that he has ordained praise to come, to triumph over his enemies. Yes, Jesus can make us right with God. And what we have to do is repent of our sins. We don't just get in automatically. That's a misnomer. We get in by repenting of our sins and turning our life completely over to Jesus Christ, full surrender, full stop, all that we are and all that we have. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to join me in a word of prayer to make this creator of the vast universe that we can't even comprehend Invite him to come and live within you to be your Lord and Savior, to recreate you to be all that he's ordained for you to be. If you're a Christian, I want you to just take some time to ponder the vastness of who God is and celebrate that in his vast majesty, he has included us and we can rest in that, trusting that God in all of his majesty will care for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. For the testimony of David, written 3,000 years ago, that reminds us in the enormity of all that we can kind of see, we recognize that you have chosen to include us. We'll never fully compre comprehend that this side of heaven, but we thank you for it. Lord, we recognize that some listening in this room and online have never received you as Lord and Savior of their life, invited you as a creator and Savior, to recreate them and save them from their sin. Lord, we pray that you would draw those to yourself, that they would sense your spirit calling them to voice a prayer similar to this, Lord Jesus. I recognize that I'm a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, for my friends who maybe just prayed that prayer, I pray that you would give them the courage to step forward and take those next steps. They've just begun a relationship with you, and now they'll spend the rest of their life embracing you as Lord and Savior. For those of us that are already followers of you, I, I pray that we would see the refreshment of your psalms. To be reminded of what David 
was seeking to comprehend in all the majesty of your creation. He saw you. He wasn't overwhelmed to the point that he thought you would never have any idea who he was, but he said, you're mindful of me even in the midst of all of this. What a great God you are. Thank you. Help us to truly grow in our understanding of how majestic you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like you need to make a, a public commitment, which you do if you've accepted Christ, make that public. But then I would invite you to make your way back to one of these aisles. There'll be a deacon and his wife standing at each one of these aisles, and I'll be standing over at the cross. You can also meet us at the Connection Center right out in the atrium. Take one of these cards with you. and Just put out your name and your phone number and what decision you want help in making. And uh, let's just continue to worship God as we sing this final song, and then we will move into a brief business meeting after that. So let's stand together. Two, three. We hid our face, separated, betrayed your heart, our glory faded, went our own way, gave up on love, but you would not, for you are good. You sent your Son for our forgiveness, you ran to may be seated. Just a quick reminder after the business meeting, if you have not signed your child up for VBS, today is the day to do it. We need to get them in there. So register for VBS, all right? 
VBS begins in one week from tomorrow. All right. Thank you, ladies.